You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Wednesday, the 25th of January, coming to you once again from Florida, ahead of the Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream Park on Saturday. More of that with the chief executive of First Racing later in the show. We'll also be bringing you a special report from Kenya, courtesy of ITV Racing's Francesca Kumani. And looking ahead to Cheltenham this weekend, not only keeping an eye on the weather, but also catching up with some connections of leading fancies. Uh, Jamie Snowden, he'll be along. He'll be talking about Gar Law, who is likely to head to Doncaster for the Skybet chase there. And in a moment, Cornelius Lysett will be joining me to discuss, amongst other things, the release of the figures into Great British Racing's Everyone's Turf campaign that have come out this morning. I'll be talking to their marketing director, Greg Taylor. But first of all, I thought it very important this morning to put in a call to Nicky Henderson, primarily about Altior, uh, his great chaser who has just undergone colic surgery and is in a critical condition. First, though, I asked Nicky about his stable star, Constitution Hill, because there were reports last week that all might not be well with the horse. Uh, reports that surfaced in a, an interesting piece from Callum Jamieson in The Sun that was underlined uh, with a news of Nicky Anderson's reaction to that in a, a follow-up piece yesterday. So I began by asking if all was well with Constitution Hill. Here's what the trainer had to say. Couldn't be better. Never been happier. He's in great form. He's not. He hasn't actually started what I call his Cheltenham prep in seriousness yet. You know, he's had a quiet January uh, following the Christmas hurdle, which we would normally do because we never intended to run him again before Cheltenham. But he's starting to wind up a little bit. He did a little bit more yesterday. Um, and yeah, I couldn't be happier with him. And Sean, who rides him every day, tells me he's in great form. Couldn't be happier. He is 100%. I can assure you there's nothing wrong with him at all. Epaton goes to Doncaster at the weekend. You managed to find a little opening for her? I did, luckily. I mean, she was going to, to Haydock last weekend for the champion hurdle trial. But to be fair, that was never going to be very nice ground and it was off anyway. Whereas this Saturday, there is a grade two mares only hurdle, which is ideal for her. Excellent. And Dusart going to Cheltenham this weekend? In the Cotswold chase, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Do you do you think he's he's up to that? It looks it looks a pretty hot hot edition of it. It does, but where 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 would one start? It's that or the or, or, or the, 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 the the three mile chase at, at Doncaster <coughs> with top weight. And that doesn't really appeal terribly to me. So I'd rather he went and had a nice time around Cheltenham with half a dozen eight good horses um, yeah, and Nicky there'll be people who've just been reading your Unibet blog uh, about uh, Altior uh, your your wonderful horse who is in is in a, a critical condition at the moment have, have you had an update on him this morning yes and to be fair this morning's was better than last night's uh, yesterday morning's wasn't as good as the, it, you know he's fluctuating um, but he's had some pretty serious he had a, it was a rare sort of colic situation and you know when they have colic they do have to remove a large part of the intestine 
that gets damaged has to be removed and he has you know it, it, it could a, a very large amount but um and then he wasn't covered up was that was a four-hour operation on saturday um he was uncomfortable again on sunday and um and he's holding his own but as i say he is he's critical but stable and we're all pat pew's been down to see him several times and mick and chloe and ourselves and you know we're all hoping and praying for him because he was having a wonderful retirement which obviously when you've won 19 races on the trot you sort of deserve mm. quite all right, Nikki Henderson there, quite a bit to unpack. Well, first of all, uh, as I welcome Cornelius Leiser into the programme, before we get, get to anything else, I mean, the most important news is uh, Altior, and we are hoping for a recovery, Cornelius, because that sounds pretty serious. It does, doesn't it? Um, it'd be lovely to think that the horse could go and have a, a long and happy retirement, and then some kind of thing like this happened. So, yeah, everything crossed, all best wishes, and uh, you know, lots of good energy towards uh, Altior at the moment. In terms of Constitution Hill, hmm, uh, I, I don't know quite what, what's going on here. Nicky Henderson has done his absolute best to, to say no. It, the horse is absolutely fine. But I suppose, you know, look on the putting a bit of a spin on it. Uh, if Constitution Hill wasn't the, the equine that he is, then these sort of stories wouldn't be circulating. Exactly. These sort of exactly. rumours wouldn't be circulating. I mean, and and this isn't a, a yeah, this isn't Nicky Henderson's first rodeo in this respect, and and nor is it a, a, for any top trainer. Any top trainer with a, a very good horse, rumours do the rounds. Some have foundation. You get you get a you get a, a, a whiff of something, and all the trainer can do is to turn around and say no, it's not true, and then everybody moves on. I imagine, uh, to be honest, that uh, Nicky Henderson, as he now approaches the final weeks before the Cheltenham Festival, obviously he's worried about Constitution Hill. Obviously. He's concerned about all the horses that he'll be hoping to run over those four days in the middle of March. But I bet Altior's absolutely top of his mind, just uh, hoping everything will be okay with him. And interesting thoughts there on on Dusart, who he, he clearly has a very high opinion of, given that he's got him in the Cotswold Chase at the uh, the weekend, and uh, that looks a, a very spicy race, as do most of the races at Cheltenham Cornelius. Clark of the course, John Pullen, seems pretty confident that this meeting's going to go ahead it is still pretty cold and and he does need the forecast to be right yeah um so the the situation seems to be unusually in the the british uh isles that the further north and in fact the, the further west as well but particularly the further north you are probably the the happier you are if you're a race course official uh the fixture at uh, catrick in north yorkshire due to go uh, ahead uh, today as planned so that's only the what second turf meeting in the last few days, Foslas early in the week in Hereford early last week. So that would be good to get some jumping going again at uh, Catrick. Uh, in terms of uh, tomorrow, Weatherby sounds that's relatively north, uh, also in the Yorkshire area. Uh, they're very confident. Wincanton is is off on Thursday, uh, Friday. Well, fr Friday, uh, Doncaster, uh, still still need a sort of confident update from them. Definitely some frozen bits uh, at Doncaster. Huntingdon due to take place on Friday, an inspection at 12 o'clock on Thursday ahead of that one. I think Huntingdon, just sort of north of London and very much in that extended southeast of England area, has been very, very cold of late. As far as Cheltenham is concerned, slightly surprised looking at the British Horse Racing Authority um, course update. 
the admin, the British Horse Racing Authority admin update at, and we're recording this at 11 o'clock UK time on Wednesday. Haven't had an update from Cheltenham since uh, late on Tuesday afternoon. And at that point, um, the course given a soft, still frozen in places. I don't, you know, don't want to harangue racecourse officials, and um, particularly at Cheltenham, because uh, it's a big old job. But part of the big old job is to keep everyone informed. And not only do the players need to be kept informed, but there's a lot of interest from all sorts of directions for this bumper card at Cheltenham on Saturday because uh, of Ascot being lost and so no Clarence House chase so far uh, with a shortage of uh, weekend jumping for a couple of weeks. So uh, I think uh, that we'll be looking forward with bated breath to a, 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 a pretty prompt update on quite how conditions are because on the one hand we haven't had that since Tuesday afternoon on the other hand uh, I've seen some things on social media saying things are definitely improving but uh, an official absolutely cast iron official new bit of news from Cheltenham would be much appreciated all right um Cornelius yesterday uh, Lydia charged me with ringing various people and, and oh, I, yeah. I, I, I I think I hope I came through you hadn't warned you hadn't warned had you you know you you just you threw those names at her and she she came yeah, up with them absolutely and, so who are you and, gonna throw at me okay so were you well I I asked you earlier who you wanted to hear from and you said well I said uh, Jamie Snowden would be uh, uh, of considerable interest because I love this the law GA law whichever you prefer to call it Okay, Garlaw, he calls the horse, um, and I think that's the, the standardised pronunciation now. Uh, I have asked him about his Paddy Power Gold Cup winner. He's got two engagements at the weekend, Cheltenham and Doncaster. Which one's he going to take? Here's the trainer. The, the plan is very much Doncaster. Um, obviously, having won the Paddy Power, um, we wanted to, to, to go up and trip. Ascot was um, probably first first preference last weekend, but um, luckily... He, we had him in at Donkster this weekend and I, I did put him in at Cheltenham over two and a half on Saturday as well, slightly more as a as a, as a backup should anything go wrong. But yeah, Donkster's been, been the original number one since Haskell was off. <laughs> and if, if things go to plan and, and, and he wins and he gets the three miles extremely well, does that Gold Cup entry become more than speculative? Uh, I think... I, I, I still think this year it probably is still a speculative entry. I would have thought um, if we were going to go to the festival um, and he were to progress before that, then the Ryanair is probably the more likely of, of the two targets this year. Um, but obviously a lot depends on how his next run, you know, run or two go between between now and then. Notice you've got Park, this one entered in the River Don, the, the grade two novice hurdle. Is he going to run? That's very much the plan. Yeah, yeah. He he's he's um he won a bumper. He's won two Norris hurdles. He was he was fourth over over two and a half in the Grade Two at Sandown. Um, definitely wants to go up and trip. So yeah, that the, the River Don is the plan this weekend. Now, Great British Racing, the sports promotional and marketing arm, has released its highlights newsletter from two thousand and twenty two. There's an awful lot of positive content in there surrounding National Racehorse Week, which it dubs a huge success, driving forward welfare communications, uh, evidence of promotion of shared ownership, uh, the contribution of uh, Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is featured, and celebrating and supporting uh, LGBT plus inclusion in the sport. But the focus, and rightly so, will be on the 
uh, Everyone's Turf campaign that was fronted by Jermaine Genus and has already invited quite a bit of speculation as to whether money was spent wisely. 1.6 million was the cost of the campaign. And as is stated in the newsletter, right up front, the target was Q3, third quarter attendance of 1.95 million. And that target was not met. 1.62 million was the total attendance in that time. I've been speaking to the Director of Marketing for Great British Racing, Greg Taylor. And I asked him, first of all, for his reaction to these figures and the success or lack of it of this campaign. Um, I think when we when we look back on on this campaign, um, clearly, you know, we had two headline targets for the campaign, and clearly, we're disappointed that we didn't have hit that admissions target of returning to 2019's total attendance from July to September of 1.95 million. Um, what I would say, uh, just in terms of in terms of that number, is that I think there were a number of factors at play uh, in terms of launching the campaign when we had a you know a wide scale cost of living crisis. We've seen that that has had a real impact on people's leisure spend. It's been seen across other sports and wider leisure. But you know we can't shy away from the fact that one of the major targets for the campaign. We didn't reach the number that we that we wanted to reach, um, even if there were uh, factors at, at play there. What I would say is that we had, as I said, we had two main targets for this campaign, and the other number, which was around the number of people considering a race day in the future, we have seen a positive uplift there. Um, so this is something we track through regular GBR polling. We saw uh, this was, you know, this number stood at 10 million in, in 2019. On the back of the campaign, we've seen that number of people who are considering a race day rise to 12.9 million. And I think we just need to state how important that number is. You know, this is a bigger pool of potential customers, potential fans, and the campaign, you know, the majority of the budget went into advertising the campaign to our target audience. And, generated a, a huge amount of reach and awareness for the sport in a, in a really challenging time. So the fact that we've seen a rise in that number of people considering going racing, um, you know, we view as a positive and we, we hope that it therefore positions racing in a better place to, you know, to bounce back once the economy does improve and hopefully we will see uh, an increase in those, in those attendance numbers. Yeah, a couple of things in terms of the, the spend here, 1.6 million. Where did that money come from? The levy board um, provided 1.35 million, and then the additional um, two, 250,000 was GBR funds to, to top it up and to show our, you know, support and backing of, uh, of the campaign. We would, we would very, very carefully uh, look at how we spend a budget like that, and it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a really sizable. It's a sizable pot of money um, and something that, you know, we take very seriously given that we've had the funding from the levy board. If you were to launch a similar campaign and were given a similar amount of money by the levy board again, what would you do differently? Well, we've also um, set out a number of uh, learnings in, in, in the campaign. I think that there's, there's things we can take out of uh, this year. One of the main learnings, I think, is just around timings and ensuring that we come at everything as early as possible. It's it's one of the reasons why we've just decided to to pause um, large scale activity for, for for this year. We really want to continue to 
use the assets, use the brand that we've that we've created, that we've had positive feedback on. But timings are absolutely key, um, and we you know we would ideally like to have I think more time to set things in motion, do testing, which is so important, and just make sure that this is all communicated as early as possible to, to the race courses and industry partners. Um, so I think it's having having that in place. And, you know, we we launched uh, we launched in June last year, but we were promoting fixtures from July. So there wasn't much time for the campaign to, to bed in and properly establish itself. I think that's definitely one of the key things. And I think also just looking at how we maintain momentum. Three months is a long time for a campaign, particularly when we're advertising, you know, we're advertising hundreds of fixtures within that time. Um, budget of 1.6 million is a lot, but it doesn't actually get you that far when you're talking about three months and hundreds of fixtures. Um, but I think it's really important that we have regular points to the point of the campaign, momentum. I think we probably look at maybe more of a content series to make sure that you know, the campaign was being talked about throughout the summer as opposed to just being advertising to, to our target audience. So, you know, there's a few things in there, I think, that we would look to to, to do slightly slightly differently if the, if the campaign was to be repeated. And I think maybe, you know, one of those would probably be around audiences as well and, and making sure that we're targeting people who have been racing or do have an affinity as opposed to just a, um, a, a core focus on people who are new to racing. Okay, that was Greg Taylor, Marketing Director of Great British Racing. Cornelius is still with me. But Cornelius, the top line number is disappointing. They had a target of 1.9 million people and they, they didn't meet it. No, it fell short by, what, um, a couple of hundred thousand and a bit more. Uh, well, more like 300, nearly 300,000. So that, that was disappointing. Um, but marketing is marketing. Um, the infuriating thing about marketing is that sometimes its results are sort of bit more nebulous you hear talk about reach and awareness and uh, a rise in consideration of going racing uh, but th those are important to, for trying to to mold a future but I, th I think the imp the imp racing's impatience at the moment British racing's impatience is trying to get more bums on seats so I think some of the skeptics will say you know all this money is being spent on this could some of it be spent better on sort of promotions on the ground uh, and there have been particular praise lately for promotions by Lingfield Racecourse in terms of the Winter Million. I saw a lot of praise for a promotion, I think, at Sedgefield Racecourse of late, uh, where you could buy early and really buy quite a lot. And I've been really struck as well um, by the, the whole student thing. There's a, a big drive to get large numbers of students from universities to racecourses. And I've heard sort of reports from friends, children, who've been to Redcar and Newton Abbott about what brilliant days they've had. So although spending all this money on these type of things is important, equally, I think there are those who are saying, well, should we be actually spending the, the, these type of quite large quantities of money on more practical things to get people through the gates? Cornelius, we've been tracking the entry numbers for the Grade 1 races at the Cheltenham Festival. We've just had the latest batch out, which are for the, the novice hurdles, and sort of bucking the trend, really, insofar as the, the, the numbers are, are are up a little, particularly in the three-mile novice hurdle, the Albert Bartlett, the numbers are up really quite quite significantly, which um, is good news, I guess. Yeah, uh, the Albert Bartlett numbers, there's seven, 77 entries for the Albert Bartlett that's up 25 uh, on last season. The other numbers, uh, and you're, you're comparing and contrasting with the novice chases where some of the numbers 
that were released over the last uh, week or 10 days have been down a bit. But for the hurdles, 67 entries for the Supreme, uh, that's up from last season, up from 61. Uh, 97 for the Ballymore, up from 95, healthy numbers. Um, and But it, it's always pointed out there is obviously there are plenty of horses that are entering both of, entered in both of those. Uh, the Alba Butler, as I say, 77 entries, 25 more than last season. And the Triumph Hurdle, total of 59 entries, is actually the same as last time. So numbers healthy the, in terms of the number of young horses around that want to be taking part in those important prizes at the festival. What hasn't really bucked the trend is the trainers of large numbers of those horses, uh, the names W.P. Mullins, G. Elliott, H. de Bromhead, next to plenty of those. And uh, as far as British trainers are concerned, plenty of P. Nichols and, and Henderson, those type of names. But um, I, was, I was struck listening to the podcast yesterday, listening to Henry Daly, and I think um, you you summed up his attitude. He was talking about Blenkinsop uh, going to the festival. Uh, you summed up his attitude as a what's the point attitude when you are having to take on so many Mullins and Elliot type, type of horses. But there are plenty of trainers who aren't taking the what's the point view at this stage anyway. As noticed, Kerry Lee, for example, has got a couple of very nice uh, young hurdlers entered. Evan Williams. Uh, with some entries and, pl and plenty of other people uh, as well. Charlie Longston's got uh, an important uh, potential runner in rare, rare edition. So it, it, although uh, the numbers are good, there are still plenty trained by a relatively small number of people. And I dare say that in the, as you put it, the what's the point attitude is going to be much discussed, particularly outside the, the very top uh, names on either side of the Irish Sea between now and the out of the festival uh, on, what, the 14th of March. All right, so as you know by now, the reason why I'm here in South Florida this week is for the 2023 running of the Pegasus World Cup, which takes place on Saturday, Gulfstream Park. It's 4.30 NBC if you are watching in the United States, and you'll be able to see it on uh, Sky Sports Racing back in the in the UK. Uh, Aidan Butler is the chief executive officer of First, uh, the parent company of uh, Gulfstream Park, and joins me now. Uh, Aidan, just for those who haven't been to the Pegasus before, g give us an idea of, of the flavour of this event and what you've really been trying to create over the last couple of years. Hey, Nick, thank you. Yeah, we've, um, we've really tried to put an emphasis on the, I guess the, the party atmosphere that South Florida brings. It's a, it's a different part of the world. I think Gulfstream is a, a unique track um, in multiple ways, but that day and this day that's coming up is, is such a, an experience, not just from the racing. I mean, we're so blessed this year to have such great field size. Um, I think we've got about as good a horses as there are out there for the big races. Uh, all the races seem to be uh, extremely competitive. But with regards to the day itself and the experience, you know, we'd put this huge emphasis on bringing in modern, you know, modern talent, making sure each location within the areas of the track, the different restaurant offerings, the different rooms, all have their own, you know, experience, um, which makes it different than most race days. You know, I've been blessed to go racing across, uh, you know, across the world, all sorts of different countries and hundreds of tracks, but. Um, I think in this instant, we have the ability to uh, show that the racing can be world class, but every other part of the experience can be modern and different. And I think we're, we're making inroads to get that done. 
you've also got a great wagering card this year, which hasn't necessarily always been the case because some years you've had, particularly in the big races, a very heavy favourite and a lot of horses who, with all due respect, couldn't win. In the certainly the two big grade ones, the, the main race and the turf, you've got very, very open races. They're very contentious. They're full fields. People will be handicapping these hard. I'm very interested in the way that you're integrating handicapping with with entertainment it's not just there's your concert there's your music and there's your racing you are trying to make this a fully integrated experience just tell us how yeah absolutely i mean so the the, the, i guess the conversation would be and i actually spoke to someone about this earlier would you have loved it if flight line ran and i said i would have absolutely loved it but we would have had a one to nine shot so at the end of the day um there's always a bit of give and take with regards to how the fields shake up and i think you know to your point this is so ultra competitive it's going to bode so well for an amazing wagering card now when you have a brand new bunch of areas and you do things differently Yes, we have a lot of the uh, hardcore racing fans and they come and thoroughly enjoy their day. But with some of the music offerings, entertainment offerings, experience offerings we are now introducing, you bring a new crowd. So we've really tried hard this year more so than ever to not only redesign some of the user interfaces on the betting terminals, for instance, when you get to the Carousel Club, which is one of the outdoor areas um, on the running rail, um, there's not only more of a modern vibe in there, so it'll seem like a South Beach party, but all the betting opportunities in there or the ability to bet in there is modernized. There are big terminals that look like slot machines. The user interface, which is how people interact with the, uh, with the betting terminals, has been totally simplified. We've got some t- well, you know, well-trained, um, handheld, uh, basically mutuals people who can now come up to people and really speak in a, in a more simplified language to be able to get people to bet. Um, and obviously, we've got the first bet app, which uh, has got quite a, a simple flow about it. In particular, Express Bet has always been more for the pros. First Bet was built to specifically kind of cater to a newer audience. So, between all of those offerings, um, not only do I think people will have an amazing day from a party standpoint, but the trans, you know, transferring just the excitement of being at a cool venue to actually wagering should be a lot less of a heavy lift. And running, you know, running handicapping seminars in in some of the in some of the more kind of out there entertainment well, yeah, area. I, I mean, we've actually, um, we've got a group um, of, I'm not going to list all their names, but we've got a group of very well-known, um, what you call handicappers, who are actually in each area, who can be there to not only be a, a you know a voice of explanation, but um, give their own little uh, ideas. So when people are looking to tr- learn how to wager, how do I wager, what do I wager on? You've got some personalities there to really, you know, bring that along. So I think uh, all in, um, a lot of this is brand new. Uh, We're going to see how well people adapt to it. But uh, everybody listening to this, I'm sure, understands that the lifeblood of racing, particularly in, in, in North America, is the wagering. And it's one thing to attract a new audience at the track and get them excited about the sport uh, and, and, you know, in the atmosphere. But then to try and teach them how to wage is good for everybody because it keeps people coming back and back again and again. And then not just show up at the big days, you know, be actually interested at what's happening at a, at a, at a Thursday somewhere. And I know this is a meet, this championship meet, you're, you're particularly keen to grow and sort of put its profile back where it, where it was 20, 30 years ago. I, I, I need to ask you about the, the, the issue that, that took place earlier in the week. Um, you're, you're used to crises and you have dealt with an awful lot of them with great, um, with great aplomb. You had an outbreak of equine herpes virus, EHV, quite well publicised earlier in the week here at Gulfstream. How have you been dealing with that? So um, 
Unfortunately, as anybody who lives at racetracks or works at racetracks knows, equine herpes is quite a common thing. It, it's it's prevalent. It's not always uh, visible, meaning a lot of horses can carry it and, and not show any symptoms. Um, but having you know the fact that we run five racetracks and two training centres and we run them pretty much year round means we're, we're quite um, you know, so well adapted at, at, at dealing with this sort of thing. The second we thought we had a problem, we immediately went into lockdown. We um, turned the barn in question into basically into Fort Knox and created a full um, bio quarantine, which for those who would know or are interested, that means not only do we completely limit people going in and out, but anybody going in and out has to, you know, go through, they have to put their feet in special boots, they have to wash, you know, wash their boots with a disinfectant material. And we locked it down so quickly that when the state came out, you know, the state health authority and the vet, state veterinarians came out, they were extremely happy with how we'd done it. And one of the, I guess, you know, sometimes it's good to be a little lucky. One of the things was that the barn in question, which is Barn 21, is completely the opposite side of the racetrack to the stakes barn and where all the shipping horses are coming. So that combined with the uh, effectiveness of the quarantine meant the state was more than happy for us to continue operating. Sad to say that there was a... Well, I think they're all in. There were five horses in that barn. One that was a Pegasus horse, and the others were under the other four were undercard. And I feel terrible for the owners and connections of those horses. Um, but in a case of um, equine herpes, you have to be super careful. It is very contagious. Um, and so, yeah, uh, hopefully that's the biggest uh, biggest fire drill we have for this week. Clearly, a number of our listeners will be interested in how Frankie de has been getting on. We've spoken to him earlier this week, and he's loving it, clearly, in, in California. He does not have herpes, we checked. <laughs> that's, that's very reassuring. Uh, Richard, Kings, Richard Kingscoat will, will have uh, uh, his first meaningful chance, I think, today with Kestena, a horse who was in training with John Gosden back in England, has been based in the States for a little while, about second favourite on the morning line. He's just betting in here in Florida, but... Getting these European jockeys over of, of significant standing, none more high profile than Frankie, that must be a great boon to you and your team. It's, it's been so much fun and it's been great how the customers have reacted and the fans have reacted. Um, you know, Frankie, originally when he said he was going to come over, I think it's been fairly well publicised. It was not a farewell tour to Frankie. It was a... Um, you know, it was it was basically going to be he was doing this for the winter and then he was going to go back. The fact that it's it really seems to be his last year riding has driven an extra emphasis on how is he doing. And just to be blunt, he's he's out riding a lot of people. I mean, he's riding amazing. So from a you know, I guess the customers and when I think of the customers generally, I think upfront about the wager in public and how they interact with the product. Um, I think it's been a really good thing. Richard, absolute gentleman, uh, lovely guy, came out, and I think he's really quite excited about how you know how he's um, how he's going to do for the next little while out in South Florida. And I'm just hoping for any of um, you know any of the other jocks connections uh, anywhere else in Europe and the rest of the world. It's such a cool place between here. You know, in this time of the year in North America, we have the sun, we have great turf racing both here and at Santa Anita. And I think I'd like to see more of it going forward. Hopefully, Frankie will, um, you know. Come October, decide he's going to have another couple of years, and maybe we can get him back next year. But no, I think it's a, uh, I think it's something we're going to be doing more of, and I think it adds an extra dynamic. Um, 
not that I think, you know, we, we have amazing riders in, in North America and we're blessed this time of the year particularly to have the best there is, both here and the Santa Anita. But I think it's nice from a competitive standpoint and for an extra flavour to bring in, you know, different, different riders. And then ultimately different horses. Looking to uh, looking to be, be a nice thing to try and get um, maybe a European trainer with a string to come out and start to add a, you know, add that sort of flavour to it too. Mix up the form a little bit and add some extra excitement. Well, we like to be a broad church on this podcast and take you to as many corners of the world as possible, provided, of course, the one criterion is that there is some semblance of, of horse racing. There's more than a semblance of horse racing in Kenya, and there has been for a long time. The Ngong race course is definitely somewhere on my bucket list. It is somewhere that ITV Ratings' Francesca Kumani has been lucky enough to spend a bit of time just this last week. Uh, Francesca, I was quite envious looking at the Instagram feed. I've got to say, you look like you were having a bit too much fun. Oh, we had, honestly, the most amazing time. It was a super whirlwind trip, Nick, because we got there on, wait, what was it? Wednesday morning, early. Um, and we went up north to Laikipia, literally in the foothills of Mount Kenya. And we had a couple of days on Sirai's stud, who um, they're the sponsors of the Kenya guineas. They're Michael and Sarah Spencer. And they've got the most amazing place just on the edge of the Barana Conservancy. So we had a couple of days riding horses out amongst the the, the wildlife there. And we actually saw um, a lioness, three lionesses pouncing on a grevy zebra having, when we were just stood there on our horses, which was insane. And then we went to Nakuru, which is the main kind of breeding hub uh, for racehorses in Kenya. When I say the main breeding hub for racehorses, I mean the one and only existing commercial breeder still <laughs> in Kenya. And then we went to Nairobi for a couple of days, and that obviously included the Kenya Guineas on Sunday. So we jammed a lot in, but it was amazing. I actually have a real affinity for the country, Nick, because in my uh, gap year, I went and worked for a guy called Tristan Vorsboy who did riding safaris in the Maasai Mara. And I kind of fell in love with the country. And I, I go back in my um, holidays from university and I just loved it. And I actually rode in an amateur race at Ngong Racecourse back in the day. Would you believe it? Um, so, I, yeah, I love the country. I love the experiences. I love the people. They're all so lovely. And I'm working with um so Venetia Phillips is uh is in charge of all the the breeding and racing operation for the Spencers at Sirai Stud and she's a she's a friend from Newmarket and she in particular is particularly passionate about um getting Kenyan racing back on its feet so I'm trying to help her in any way that I can to to achieve it what's the what's the whole scene like there now what's it like going to a, a big race day in Kenya so it was a it was a big racing scene in Kenya. I was actually very kindly given a uh, a book of a hundred years of racing in Kenya. When you look through that, um, you really notice the difference between kind of then and now because it was obviously a British colony, and um, as a result, you know, racing was was pretty big there. Um, pretty much in nineteen hundreds was when it got going, and then they used to have I think they had thirteen race courses at one stage, and they even had jump racing and they even had their own um kenya grand national as well that's all now dwindled down to only one race course that is uh ngong race course in nairobi it's actually the only race course in east africa and there's actually only about 80 horses in training there are about 12 trainers there's only about eight or nine registered jockeys and like i said pretty much one commercial breeder so 
it's it has been uh, dwindling somewhat, but uh, there's a lot of uh, new energy and enthusiasm um, around it to kind of build it back up. And they've got a lot of work to do. I mean, they've still got wooden railings that puts it into perspective. Um, so between the track, uh, upgrades on the track, between getting more horses in training, and also I think sorting out the betting system because there's one tote there and there's a massive tax on gambling and the only place you can bet is at the race course. Um, so there's loads of different things that that need to be improved on, but there's a great group of people who are trying to to make things better and hopefully going to succeed. Okay, thanks to Francesca. To all my guests today, Cornelius is still with me and has a tip for you. Yeah, I was going to go, actually, I'm going to Catrick for the National Hunt card there. I was going to go for a horse called Light Flicker in the first race, which I thought uh, had been running quite nicely, but I see that's a non-runner now. So I'm going to go to the 215 race at uh, Catrick. Just mentioned Henry Daly. And uh, he's got a really nice horse. Uh, it's not going to be a massive price, but it's very much on the up. Called Supreme Gift, winning Irish point to pointer, shaped up well in some bumpers. It's two out of two over hurdles when completing the track. Uh, did run out on the other occasion, which we'll have to forgive. The form's got a very solid look to it. And seven pounds come off to ease the double penalty that the horse must carry thanks to the £7 claim of the increasingly accomplished amateur rider, Alice Stevens. So, uh, Catrick, 2.15, number one, supreme gift. And I must just say, Nick, that when I was mentioning all those courses due to race between now and the weekend, I missed out Utoxeter. Uh, and I suspect Utoxeter due to race on Saturday will uh, need the forecast to be right as well and for temperatures to rise there. But let's keep fingers crossed uh, for Cheltenham on uh, Saturday. And uh, you must be sitting there in Florida thinking, what are the temperatures back home? Oh, or you. <laughs> what are the temperatures in Gulfstream Park? Well, in, in, in British money, they're about 25, 26, something like that. So sort of, it's quite pleasant. Yeah, mid to high 70s. Very nice. Perfect working conditions, Cornelius. <laughs> Off you go. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, we'll be back with you tomorrow. That was Wednesday, January the 25th. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.